those I remember like the nineties was like the the heavyweight divisions for me because I grew up in the nineties too. I was in high school and the like that was like the golden era for boxing at the end, right? When you had like George <laughs> George Foreman, Lennox Lewis, Mike Tyson, Riddick Bowe, Evander Holyfield. That was it. That, that was a golden age. I mean, when I was there, I mean, obviously a long time ago. So I was I was around at that time. Um, it just seemed like that's what boxing was about. Um, but we didn't realize we're actually in the golden age. Yeah. And it was never. Probably never ever going to be like that again. Isn't it, isn't it crazy? <laughs> isn't it crazy how sometimes you could be in a situation where you don't realize, like, oh, this is something special. Like at the time, I remember I was I wasn't around for Muhammad Ali, Joe Frazier, and those guys. And Muhammad Ali, Joe Frazier, George Foreman was probably the best that ever got right. So when you could, when you were in the '90s, if you're comparing to like the '70s era guys. It wasn't as good, so you're just telling yourself, all right, well, it's not that. But when you actually looked at all of the last 150 years, the 90s was probably the second best era, you know, besides Muhammad Ali, Joe Frazier, George Foreman. It was probably, like, right up there. And we didn't even, you don't know sometimes until it's done. And you look back, and you're like, we never had it as good. No, no, the thing is, I'm very careful and I'm sure you probably do the same as well. Um, when you get to a certain age, you don't want to be the old guy, older guy, no, no, the older guy, kind of saying, yes, I remember, it used to be like this back in the day, it was always better, the cars were better, Yeah. the boxing was better, everything was better, and sometimes it's not better. A lot of times, things improve, like powerlifting, powerlifting is definitely better now than it was 20 years ago. Yeah, you know what... <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm kind of careful not to kind of fall into that trap. You know, it's 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 weird because I think there's an ebb and flow. We just had a podcast where we talked about like the talent pool and powerlifting and how many more powerlifters there are. Um, but in comparison, not all sports are like that. Like for instance, boxing in the '40s and '50s, with like Sugar Ray Robinson and Jake LaMotta and some of these legendary guys were around there was like four to five times more registered boxers. So, and Muhammad, oh, okay. and Muhammad Ali made boxing like the most popular, Muhammad Ali is the most famous man of that century. In tr- like pro- not even just athlete, maybe the most famous man. Like he, he transcended sport. He transcended yeah. politics. He transcended religion. Um, so the amount of professional athlete boxers at that time was like more than any other era. In the, in the 60s, 70s, because 40s, 50s was four times more. 60s, 70s, even more than that. It was crazy. So it's one of those few times where it's like, look at when you have five times more people doing it, you have your pick of the litter yeah. of talent. Where I, think, I think that's the key. And I think this is where it comes to powerlifting. Why is powerlifting so successful now compared to before? It's the talent pool. It's got to be. Five. I think if you just have more people doing it. And especially if there's more incentives, for example, like in your SB, SBD Invitational, you get a few more girls and people think they can earn a bit of money. And it's like, it's, 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 a, good, it's a good thing. Yeah. It's a really good thing. Like, like I, I definitely believe um, we, we transfer information better with the internet. Like, like you, can get, you can get the world's previously, if you were just in, a, in your local city, you better hope somebody in your city knows powerlifting and help you out. Like you started in the early 90s. When the internet, <laughs> there, there was no social media. Yeah. 
in the internet, the internet was like four pages. I, I remember there's like four web pages. It was shit. The internet was almost non-existent. Um, it's crazy. When we talk about, do you know how crazy it is? Me and you could think about before there was internet, what life was like. Like there was, I remember when the internet was coming into homes. And we we're like, oh, this is crazy. I can, you know, whatever you're yeah. into, you can look it up. It was so wild at the time. Oh, and, and do you remember when you tried to uh, look at, uh, watch a video or look at a photo and it would take forever to download if, one video? Yeah. And it, just, like, it wasn't even even worth it. And if you were, crazy. In, <laughs> if, if you were into, so in the 90s, I was into boxing. If you went online, there was like one page. For boxing, you know what I mean. There was like there was only one back then. It, everything was new. Everything was so fresh and new. And, and yeah. if, if you were lucky times, if you uh, if you got a web page back in the day, you know how you could buy domain names. If you bought like um, abc.com and edf.com, those domains now any domain that's like three letters long, any of them are worth like a million dollars each because they're so valuable now. Because yeah. there's, so, there's going to be a company out there and that's the acronyms for that company. And they're like, does anybody yeah. have our, our domain right now? And some of these, I remember my ex's dad has a friend and somebody reached out to him out of nowhere. In the 90s, he bought like some domain name that's like three letters long. That's an acronym for some company in Japan. And for them, a million dollars was nothing. Like it's nothing for that. Some companies, like it's it's absolutely it's it's less than they spend on paper for the office. Reached out to him and we're like, "How's half a million? And he's like, "Jesus, are we serious?" So, I mean, that sounds pretty good. And and my ex's dad was like, "Hold out, that's the first offer. Hang on, don't say yes yet. Reply back, dude. Reply back. Like I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. I'm not convinced yet." And they're like. How about 750? How about they went up to a million? And then my my ex's dad's like, lock it up. <laughs> a million dollars? Lock it up. Yeah. It's good. You're good. Um, right place, right time. That's it, man. That's it. If only I knew back then, I'd be gobbling up every single one I could. Well, if only I knew, I would have bought all the dot com stocks. That's when it. They were like, That's true. And then like a thousand percent. That's true. One hundred percent. Um, have you back in like so? When did you first start powerlifting? Actually, because I know your worlds are like ninety-one-ish, right? I started in nineteen eighty-nine. I started in the eighties. Damn, I my man, my man. <laughs> there you go. I, yeah, I started in nineteen eighty-nine. At the time, um, I was going to uh, college uh, to study IT, uh, and there was a friend of mine, Richard, who used to do powerlifting, and he used to tell me, Sam. This powerlifting thing is really, really fantastic. You need to come. And I said, yeah, 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 Richard. I'll come one day. I'll come one day. And if I do come, I'll beat you. And so the more I said that, that that's the more it winded up. And he really, really wanted me to come to the gym. Yeah. Uh, so I went to the gym. Um, and at the time, I think he was 90 kilos and he was benching 107 and a half kilos. The first time I ever, I ever went, I was 19 years old. I weighed 80 kilos and I benched 105 and a half, oh, 105 no. kilos. Yeah. First time ever. It was a rocky bench. It was all over the place. Yeah, yeah. Like but uh, I did that and I thought, all oh, right, I'm not, I'm not bad at this thing. Um, and then I just kind of, uh, I kind of stayed around and I did a bit of squatting, a bit of deadlifting. And I, I liked it. I, was, I realized I was pretty good at this. 
at the time, I was playing uh, soccer as well. Oh, should say football. You say soccer in Canada? Uh, or? We say, we we say, say soccer. We say, say soccer. Football. We say, we say okay. to be well, honest, we football, say football. It's football now. Yeah. Yeah, so um, I entered my first regional competition in the 82 kilo class. Um, at the time, it was equipped single ply. Yeah. Um, and the first competition, I think I scored 250 kilos. Oh, wow. Benched 120, 130 kilos and then lifted 230. So I did just over 800. Uh, then I went to the Nationals and then I won that as well. So on my first two competitions, I won both of them. Um, and then I kind of had to make a decision. I couldn't really be playing football and do powerlifting at the same time. Yeah. Um, I would say my first love, my first love was actually football. Um, but I'm not David Beckham, so uh, yeah. powerlifting won. <laughs> I kind of stuck with it for a while. Was it? Were you into? Because back in the day, most of us like bodybuilding was so much bigger in the 80s, 90s. Bodybuilding was so much bigger than powerlifting. It's not even for some people now. You know, if they're just coming into the sport now, they think like they they don't know what powerlifting was like in 80s, 90s. But bodybuilding, really, you got to the gym trying to get look bigger, look like, you know, the guys in the movies, like Arnold Schwarzenegger and stuff like that. Um, and then you might have found, you might have found powerlifting because a buddy of yours told you about it. But you didn't see it. There was no internet. You didn't see it on TV. You didn't see it on TV. There was no social media. So you had to, like, find it from, like, a friend. It's very niche. You almost get lucky. You almost get lucky. It's almost like getting invited to a secret club back in the day. Yeah, if, if Richard didn't mention it to me, I would never have been there. I'd have never heard of it. Uh, and then when we went to um, these gyms to train at, we trained at a lot of gyms, these old spit and sawdust gyms, none of this corporate niceness, yeah. nice clean equipment, dirt, messy, um, rugged. Uh, it was all mainly bodybuilders there. And then the powerlifters, they would kind of tolerate us. They'd kind of, <laughs> I, 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 remember, I remember one gym that we went to and, and they would just like stick us in the corner. You guys, you train there, stay yeah. everywhere and like lock, lock the door. <laughs> <laughs> so we for the other bodybuilders and there's like bodybuilding magazines everywhere yeah. um, with, all the, with all the stars. There was no powerlifting magazines or anywhere we could get information. There was an international powerlifter, I think. That was a UK publication. And I think it was, was it Powerlifting USA? Yeah. I think it was, it was a powerlifting USA. Pulsar, um, yeah. But you to, yeah, but you have to subscribe to those. You have to be you have to be a powerlifter to kind of know about those anyway. Yeah. And that that was all the information there was about powerlifting. It, Internet, online coaches, no, 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 none of it, that. It, how did you end up like when you got into powerlifting with your friend? How did you guys make your programs, technique? How did you know how to properly squat dead bench? Did you know like like when competitions were coming around, how did you find out about the next competition coming up? Like what federation was what? Like how did you get in from, you know, this day and age when you think about it, how did anyone find out anything? <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, it sounds crazy. Well, Ryan, 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 it's not that bad. It's not killing my new I know, I know. <laughs> it's not a telephone. I have yeah. magazines, you know? Yeah, yeah, um, true. Yeah, um, yeah, um, we we just lifted um, in it was Ball at the time, um, which is now a GBPF affiliated to the IPF. 
Yeah. Uh, so they were they were published the competitions in in the magazine that I mentioned. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. In terms of technique and programming, um, I don't really remember that. Um, <laughs> it just seemed to be. It was more like you did five by five, um, and that was it. Uh, there was some terrible form for some terrible technique. Right. There's nobody really, there was no, no real proper coaches there, guiding assisting. Um, the way that I trained, I trained Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Monday, bench press, three working sets of five, uh, about 80%. Uh, Wednesday was squat day, so I squatted about two, two working sets of five. Uh, about 80%. Oh, wow. Um, a, bit of, a, bit, a bit of leg extensions and some calf races for some reason. Um, and then Friday was deadlifts. Um, once again, about two working sets of five um, and a bit of assistance. That's back. Uh, Friday was assistance day, so we do a bit of back, a bit of shoulders. That was it. I trained three times a week Holy. for 30 minutes. And I had no idea about volume and deloading, yeah. anything like that. And, but the thing with us guys, we were uh, more consistent. Um, so I think even in a training in a sub-optimal way, just by training hard, and we did do, um, we could really achieve quite a lot. Yeah. I managed training like that to get to um, in a single ply, squatting 375, oh. uh, bench. 225 and deadlift in 342. Yeah. And I look back now and I just think, how the hell did I do that? I was so underworked, so yeah. underworked, and I, I had no idea. Huh. Um, same, 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 uh, same with the other guys um, I used to train with Ryan Reynolds, Dave Carter, Andy Bolton, um, all those guys. Um, we just trained really, really hard, and the results came. Even though we really didn't know that much, there was nobody guiding us. You, you trained with Andy Bolton at the time? Yeah, trained with Andy for 10 years. He was Holy. part of the group. So Andy was, I mean, for anyone listening, was he not the first man? He pulled 1,000 pounds, no? Yeah, he, he did. He deadlifted 1,000 yeah. pounds. Absolute deadlift. Like, he was he was the biggest deadlifter in the world for years. Um, so how did you end up meeting these guys? How did you go from being a soccer player slash, you know, in, in the middle of a bodybuilding gym with you and your boy to meeting legends. Like, they were they just live close by or? Oh, it, they weren't legends at the time. I, yeah. I was training before Andy um, even knew about powerlifting. Andy was bodybuilding at the time. So we had a, we had a core group. So I mentioned the guy, Richard, who invited me. Um, he was cousins with a guy called Brian Reynolds. Um, Brian... Um, 21 years old, he won the IPF world title. Oh, wow. Including pulling at 100 kilos, including pulling 363 kilos, 800 pounds. Um, so there was just a core of us, and then other guys would join us, and that included Andy. <laughs> and then obviously Andy went on, to, went, went, went on to dominate the world. Isn't it crazy how, like, there's a lot of, especially for that time, Bay Area, when, when you couldn't get an online coach, you couldn't seek out help like that anywhere you wanted like you can today. You just sometimes, don't you ever sit back and be like, right place at the right time, 
I don't know if like if it's like destiny, the universe, or whatever people think, but it's one of those deals where it's like, if you just live somewhere in a different city, if you just live like three hours away, if you just never talk to your friend, you you just ended up in the company of legends at a time when you were young and ready to rock and roll, and it was like history could have been so different, man. You know what I mean? Where and all these guys who you're with, if you knew then when you looked around the room. Oh, these guys are all going to go on to be like powerlifting legends. You would never know, like, we're doing history right now. Yeah, no, absolutely not. I mean, um, every one of those guys went on to win British world titles. It was just it was just a great group. Um, your support structure was there. Um, I suppose nowadays um, you, can, you can record it and post it on Instagram. Yeah. But at the time, it was just all about that group getting strong together and about winning. It really wasn't it really wasn't about showing off um, and trying to reach a wide audience. It was in those days, it was just about being strong. It really it really was about that. You were just thinking, right, I want to lift four hundred kilos. It wasn't about um, wanting attention for that. Isn't that yeah there's, some, there's something pure about that, isn't it? Where you got into it at a time when it had to be for the love of the game. It couldn't be for, there was no, you had no choice. Like you got involved with the purest of hearts because it was like nobody outside of that room even understands what you're doing. They're going to think you're bodybuilding even when you're not bodybuilding. They're going to think, why are you in the gym so often? What are you guys doing? Like it only like the few guys in that room could appreciate and the few guys in that room could see that vision and then all these years later, those guys in the room are legendary and what you're doing now. And like, there's something pure about it. When you look back, it's... You, <laughs> did Sam Watts back then, imagine you walked into 1980, late 1980 Sam Watt and you said, hey, my man, we're going to end up on live streams, social media. You wouldn't even know what live streams would be. Like, it's crazy, <laughs> right? Well, I'm, 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 I'm about to say this. Um... You know, the, the fact that I've come back again into phase two of my powerlifting career, um, I'm kind of really grateful for the fact that I've managed to come back um, and still be competitive uh, in this new world. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. I'm, I'm, talk, I'm, I'm, talk, I'm talking like it's from the Jurassic era. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but it's just... Um, there is definitely... Um, you know, you can reach a much wider audience uh, all over the world, um, and people can appreciate what you do. And likewise, I can appreciate what they do as well. Yeah. Um, when when I used to live back in the day, I didn't even record um, any of my lifts, not even on a, a video recorder. So I swore three seven five, I think two or three times. Um, Never, never got it recorded. Never got any of my big lifts uh, on tape. Um, it's just like, it's just written down and that's it. It's, it's, you know, I remember too, the video camcorders back in the day were huge. You look like a freaking, like you're at a newsroom. Like if you show, they, the home camcorder was like you were a professional cameraman. Like why is your camera so big? They were all that big. It was, it was crazy. And you <laughs> recorded on a cassette 
like a, a VHS cassette, like a digital. This is before <laughs> digital camcorders. This is what people don't understand. So when people are like, why didn't you guys record? It's like, man, it wasn't that easy. Like it was, it, you looked weird if you had a camera. It looked like something different, especially to bring it to the gym. Nobody would ever do that. That would never no, happen. No, 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 no. no, in competition, yes, but in the gym, no way, no, no way, no chance. Um, so looking at some of the results, when you went to the IPF World, I believe it was 1991, maybe you went to 90, you, but um, looking at some of the names, and you could tell me what it was like when you showed up, but talking about when you were in that room training with Legends, when I take a look at some of the individuals that were at that World Championships, we're talking Ed Cohen. We're talking Captain Kirk. We're talking, like, these are names yeah. that are, like, Steve Goggins. These are names that are, like, myth, almost. They're, like, half man, half men, half myth. Their, their legend has been, you know, told so many times. And at the time when you showed up at the World Championships, were they as big then? And was it, like, was it, like, oh, my God? Or... Did their did their legend grow with powerlifting growing and their importance grew over time? Because sometimes that happens as well. Look, these guys, no, it was like Ed Cohen's here. Ed Cohen's in South Africa. <laughs> yeah. Ed Cohen's, yeah. Oh no, he was he was huge then. And um, I remember Dave Ricks. Yeah, Dave um, Ricks. Was I it. think first, I think the first time I saw Dave Ricks in '91, I and mean, you'll have to check the record. I'm pretty sure he was already five or six time world champion. Yeah, he would have been. He won. Yeah. Um, and Kurt Kowalski, this huge, huge squad of big men, good body. Yeah. Uh, it just, it was just unreal. No, these these guys were legends then. They were legends then, and I was a young, I was a young lifter. I was 21. I looked up to these guys. These these guys were the guys we looked up to, and. You didn't really see that much of them. So when you saw them in the flesh in a world championship, then you said that. What's it like? So this is something else that's kind of lost in this generation. But I love that you just said that, how sometimes you would see a name. You might, you might see a picture, but sometimes you would see a name. You see numbers attached. You never even saw what they looked like. You just had this mental image of what they would look like, what they would be like. But there wasn't internet. They, there might be a magazine you got your hands on, but it wasn't like their major publication, so you maybe not. And then when you show up, you're like, oh, wow. That's what Captain Kirk Kowalski looks like in real life. And whoever, I'll, I'll post on the video, on the YouTube version, we have audio and YouTube, video. I'll post video of him. He looks like, like he's straight out of a comic book. Like he looks like unreal. It's insane. I can only imagine when you're a young guy and you, you, you're like, oh my, it wouldn't even seem real. These dudes are like straight out of comic books. They're like superheroes. Yeah, amazing, amazing. Um, and they didn't disappoint. <laughs> and, and, and when you were there at the time, like, so you could appreciate the fact that you know too, talking about golden eras, that era to an extent is referenced as almost a golden era for powerlifting as well with Ed Cohen, Kirk Kowalski, like these are dudes who we you don't see this type anymore. You don't think so? Um, you know what? Ray Williams is it, does he not have that status, well, or does he need to do more years? Here's the thing, Ed Cohen. Do you think anyone's caught up to Ed Cohen? I don't know. 
It's hard to say. Um, he was so ahead, though. That's the thing. Like, I'll tell you what. Overall, powerlifting surpassed because there's the, the there's so many more lifters. Overall, 100% powerlifting surpassed. I just... Ed, what Ed Cohen was doing so far ahead, it was crazy. It, it, it's hard to wrap your head around, like, what was this guy doing? And if you... I think if you... Yeah, he, 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 he was like... Lifted weights that the super heavyweights would lift. Yeah. And you know, I remember seeing him in South Africa, um, and he was deadlifted. The first time I, I really saw him deadlifted properly. And it was just like weird, his deadlift style. It was like yeah, not, quite, not quite conventional. It's like, what's that about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had his own thing. I think he lifted about, I think he lifted about 375 kilos. So it was like, okay, you can do whatever stuff you like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was it was something special. I mean, I think uh I mean in guys like Captain Kirk, I mean the, there's certain characters that you're not gonna see in the IPF obviously again. But there's I don't know, it, it definitely was a golden era nonetheless. Um and a lot of the structure that came after them was built off their backs because they helped push to the forefront power lifting. So after those worlds you ended up making a transition to bodybuilding. Is that how did that happen? And why do you, why do you think you transitioned into bodybuilding? Well, did that happen? Okay. Right, did that happen right away? Because you ended up leaving for a while. No, 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 no. It didn't happen. It didn't happen right away. So, um, I started powerlifting in '89, as I said, um, and then I peaked um, in 1999, uh, where I. We're at total nine four two, um, at one hundred seven. Um, after that, I start to get a little bit of uh, niggles in my back, mm. so I, I, picked, I picked up some injuries. Um, so I, after I did that nine four two, I kind of had a year or two off, just trying to rehabilitate and try to get back. Um, I managed, I managed to make a comeback. Um, but I was back down into the 100 kilo class. Um, um, I won the British. I think that was when I was 32. And I've got to be honest, after that, I kind of just lost interest. I don't like admitting that. Because it's powerlifting, I'm talking to a, talking to a powerlifting fan. But I just did it for 13 years. Yeah. And I think, to be honest, I think having the having all the injury problems and trying to overcome that, I think it probably took a little bit out of me. Um, so I kind of lost the joy for it. So I just kind of, I won the British, I just quit, and then I went back to playing football. So I played football for 10 years um, and really enjoyed that. So I told you before that I, um, I've studied for IT, so I've been working at, in IT for a number of years, uh, and then I got made redundant because of the recession. Yeah. Um, so I had a little bit of time off from work, played a bit of poker, did a bit of traveling. And this is 2008? Um, is this 2008 round? Yes, yes, 2008, yeah, the financial, <clears throat> the financial crash. Yeah. So I, I had a few years off of just kind of playing poker and traveling and enjoying my life and having a break from everything. Um, but then I thought it's probably time to get back and be a serious person again. And so it was either go back into IT 
or do something else. And the other, the the thing that I really wanted to do was personal training. Mm. So I decided, okay, I'm going to jump in. So did a personal training course, uh, became a personal trainer, and at that time I decided I'm going to do bodybuilding because. In, in terms of building muscle, losing body fat, there's really nothing better than that to learn about that. So I've never in my life ever dieted before. And asking clients to diet and make sacrifice, I thought, okay, you're going to make a sacrifice as well, Sam. Yeah. So I did the bodybuilding. So within the first year of bodybuilding, I won my regional competition and won the overall, won the British, won the overall, came second in the world, and did the same thing for the next few years. So I came second in the WNBF natural bodybuilding competition, um, and then I finally won the world title um, in 2017. So that was four solid years of bodybuilding back to back. Yeah. Um, after I'd done that, then I decided, okay, it's time to go back into powerlifting. I'm going to give that a go again. And when you were bodybuilding, were you doing like bench press, squat, deadlift? Even even if just for bodybuilding purposes, were you still doing those major lifts? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Of course. Yeah. Um, squat, bench, deadlift. Um, um, all like like what I do with all my personal training clients. If they want to get stronger, if they want to improve their physique, you powerlift, and you can do a bit of bodybuilding as well. Yeah. Um. um yeah, absolutely. Um. Everybody likes to squat. Everybody likes to deadlift. And in fact, most of my clients, I can see they get a hell of a lot of satisfaction achievement when they pull a PB deadlift off the floor. You, Everyone, off the guys, off the girls, most of them come in and they say, look, Sam, I really want to improve my physique. Yeah. And that's what I do. That's what I do. That, that's the aim. But at the same time, you're going to get stronger as well. Yeah. That's a good way of improving your physique. Because here's the thing, like physique in terms of, like it comes down to opinion, but when it comes to like you got 250 kilo loaded on the bar, you either pull it or you didn't. And number, a uh, number's a number. Number's not going to lie to you. So you feel like, oh, I have a goal. I have a goal and it's not anyone's, my opinion, your opinion, anyone's opinion or whatever. It's just, I want to, I want to hit that number, that nice. And it's good to have a numerical value attached to your goal. Now you're chasing. Now you're getting closer to that goal and you see yourself getting closer. 240, 242 and a half, 250, or sorry, 245. Oh my God, 250 is really close. Like he gets excited. You know, I, I know how, what you mean now. You might come in the door wanting to look better and know more than just that. But once you start shifting some weight around, it can get addictive. In, in your opinion, why do people get more excited get more excited about pulling a personal best deadlift rather than squatting a personal best? Because I definitely sense more of a satisfaction from deadlift. You think so? I, well, I think... I think, honestly, there's something for myself, and I'm going to agree with you because I get more of a satisfaction from a deadlift. There's something, the fact that it's dead weight on the floor, 
There's no unracking. When you unrack a weight, look, I love hitting a big squat. I love hitting a big bench. PRs are PRs. You celebrate them. But there's something about walking up. You, you pace back and forth, and you're psyching yourself up, and the weight is sitting there on the floor waiting for you. You don't unrack it. You don't need spotters around you. You don't need, it's none of that. It's pure. There's something pure. You can wear a deadlift suit. You cannot wear a deadlift suit. It might be the exact same. And that's how pure the deadlift is. And, and yeah, that's why, to an extent, that's why some people could say it's probably the, the biggest feat of strength you can look for because of its purity. Because there's no, uh, was it depth? Was it not depth? I tell you what, it's either locked out or it's not locked out. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's that. And it doesn't hurt that when you get, when you, you're rising from the ground, you start from the bottom and you rise to the top. And there's something also metaphorical about that for humans where you literally, you literally physically start at the bottom and fight all the way to the top. And with the deadlift, you can fight. You can grind and, and it's safe to grind. You're not going to, you don't need spotters. You just put it back down. So guys are, and girls are grinding to the top and it's segmented. Oh, you knees are the halfway point. Oh, he's got it up to his knees. It's on his knees. Oh my God. He got it past his <laughs> knees. There's like, it's segmented like that. Um, so and that's the thing is, I've always, I've always, um, for me, the squat was always my thing, probably because I was squatting more than I deadlifted. But when I look back now, that was only because it was equipped. Take off the knee wraps, take off the suits, and I'm probably pulling more than I'm squatting. Yeah. Um, right now, the difference between my squat and my deadlift is about 30 kilos. Mm. That's kind of thinkable when I was doing it equipped, because when I was doing it equipped, I was squatting 375 and pulling 342. Yeah. So of course, of course I got more satisfaction from the squat, because I'm squatting 30 kilos more. Mm. Um, and to be honest, um, coming back into powerlifting, if I had to come back equipped, I may not have come back. Well, why is that? Sorry, sorry my equipped brothers. I never really, really liked equipped lifting. I never liked it. I did it because I had to do it. Yeah. I really hated t- taking 20 minutes to get a squat suit on. I really hated putting knee wraps on, and then if you don't go out within five minutes, the blood blood flow starts to disappear from your legs and you can end up failing the lift. Um, I remember going to the World Junior Championships in Canada um, and putting bench shirt on for the first time and bombing out with 185 kilos because I just felt that the shirt wasn't I didn't quite put it on right. Yeah. Yeah. Now I can just walk up to the bar and lift. I don't have the pressure of having to put the wraps on. Um, yeah. Uh, so again, too. It's a skill, and it's really difficult to to power lift um, anywhere. But then to learn the, the skill of the equipment is another skill in itself. But just for me personally. Um, I'd always prefer to lift raw. Even, I was just talking about the purity of the deadlift. You know, you don't want to unrack it so it doesn't feel an artificial setup that's not applicable to real life. Like, you know, you could dead a lot. It, like, encounters in real life lifting things up. It'd be more resemble the dead. And, and um, I think the purity as well, when you think about 
powerlifting, when you have like bench shirts, etc. If you were to tell yourself, I got outlifted at a competition, but I just could not find the groove on my bench shirt, the other guy can. I did my equipment, I'm just not comfortable in it. The other guy's very uncomfortable. He gets way more out of his equipment. And some people get way more out of their equipment than others. If you feel like you lose because of that, and you're like, look, I got involved, not because I, I want to see who's better at masking or masking or mastering their equipment. I got involved because I want to see who's stronger. And if you feel like <laughs> if you feel like that's not what it's about, it'll take that purity, you're like, I kind of wish it wasn't a factor. I kind of wish, like, I, I'm okay with losing, but I just want to see where I end up strength-wise. I don't care how good I am with a weird factor, like, I can't put my arms down, and there's a weird groove to my bench, and, like, you're like, I just don't care about that, you know? Yeah, um, and, like, when I came back a couple of years ago, um, I just just had no idea how how huge powerlifting was and how, how big rolllifting was. How raw lifting was it? Was a was a pleasant surprise. Yeah, were you um, watching? Were you watching? <laughs> Sorry. Were you watching? Like, were you um when you're doing your bodybuilding? Did you were you being told or were you paying attention at all at the progress? No. Of, oh no, kidding. No, no. I, once once I left in 2002, I just didn't follow it at all. Oh wow. Just I had no interest. I didn't know what was going on in the powerlifting world. I didn't know who was doing what. Um, I just kind of had to re-educate myself what when, a, I, when I what, what a unique situation. My man, it's crazy that, like, you were there in the era, late 80s, early 90s, Kowalski, Cohen, all these guys. You leave 2002. You come back almost 20 years later, like a man reborn, and you're like, where did we leave off at? Whatever happened to those guys? Are they around? <laughs> are they are they masters now? What's going on? Who's who? What's what? And you're like, and you're like, you you, you it's like you reemerge. You're like, who the fuck is Russell Orhe? What is going on? What are we talking about? Why are eighty three kilo guys squatting seven hundred pounds? What is <laughs> what is yeah. happened? Like, yeah. what was it when you stepped back in and decide? Okay, first off, why did you decide I want to check out powerlifting again? And second, uh, and, and come back. And second off, when you actually did, and you got your lay of the land, and you saw a what some of these guys were lifting, like like you got guys like Taylor Atwood, who's a seventy four kilo guy squatting six hundred pounds, two hundred seventy two point five kilo, um, and you got like the Ray Williams, and you looked around, you saw the live streams, you saw the social media, like these some of these guys and girls, like Steffi Cohen's got a million followers, and like when you got your lay of the land. What was your impression? So first, why did you come back? First, why? What brought you back? What was it like? Because you, you're pushing 50 at this point. You're in your late 40s. And you're like, you're like, this is going to be an, either this is going to be an amazing comeback story. It's going to go totally the other way on me. So what, what, what was, well, to be honest, it was, it was quite easy because remember I told you that with the bodybuilding training, I would still be doing the power lifts. Yeah. So... I'd be squatting, and now I'm, I'm squatting 250, 260 kilos for five, you know, doing the same on the deadlift. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm repping quite heavy on, on, on the bench uh, with a heavier body weight. So it was just really a logical process for me. Um, 
I really achieved in bodybuilding the top of the game. I won the WMBF Pro heavyweight title. I won the biggest thing in natural bodybuilding, in my opinion. Um, and at the same time, I was just getting stronger and stronger and stronger every year over the four years I was doing the bodybuilding. Um, I remember three weeks out from one of my competitions, I think I was weighing about 103 kilos, and somebody made me a challenge. Sam, um, I bet you can't do three times body weight deadlift while you're kind of two, three weeks out from your show and you're down there at four or five percent body fat. So I took up the challenge um, and I loaded up 312 or 315, whatever it is, and I did it. Um, and the love for powerlifting starts to return when you start to lift. You know, and then I'm kind of thinking, okay, well, what if I go to the 105? What if I do a proper uh, powerlifting training cycle rather than just ad hoc kind of training around the bodybuilding? Let's uh, let's put something together and see what I can do. So that was in a Wonder World bodybuilding in 217, I think it was. So then the next week, I got straight into the gym. Wrote myself a, a training cycle and I got right onto it. And so then I competed six months after that, six months after the Worlds, 2018, and I squatted 295 raw. At the time, I didn't know anything about sleeves, so I just did it bare knees. And people said, Why are you squatting in bare knees? I think because. Because I'm not using knee wrap, so you just you do it raw. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I did, 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 did 2.95, and that was a British record, first time back. Um, I think I benched 177, and then I pulled a 3.22 deadlift, so that was a 7.92 total. Yeah. Um, my, my, my aim when I came back, my plan really was just to be competitive, competitive in the Masters category, the over 40. Um, but as time went on, the total, the numbers started to rise. So in 2019, um, after I think I did a total about 820, I thought, okay, I'm going to do, I'm going to do the British Championship. Um, so that was my big official return to uh, GDPF it after is, 17 years. Here's the thing, um, and I want to get to that in one sec. Before we move on to that. I remember, so when you re-emerged, and it was like, man, this dude Sam Y, A, diced, okay, diced up, 50, pushing 50, totally diced, and it was weird because some people are like, who's this new guy? And they have no idea. <laughs> new guy? My man, I've been doing this longer than you've been alive, you know what I mean? Like, you were like, it's weird because you had... Um, like for instance, you didn't know, oh, you're, you're allowed to wear knee sleeves. People must be thinking, oh, he must be new to the sport. He doesn't know you're allowed to wear knee sleeves, whatever. They have no idea that you were around in the Ed Cohen, Kirk Kowalski era. You've been doing this since the eighties. Like it's, it's gotta feel weird. And people like when they started realizing, like, did they, did people start talking to you and being like, so what's your story? And it's like, well, do you have like two hours? Because it's going to take a minute. Like, I've been around the block. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's got to be weird. It's almost like you showed up and you got a secret and nobody knows about it. It's almost like you're the guy. You know, you know those movies where 
It's an old Western movie, and there's these cowboys, gunslingers at a poker table, and everybody knows somebody's background, but there's one guy nobody knows, and he's quiet, and he's mysterious. He's always, he's always dressed in black. Yeah, that's right. He's about yeah, and then in the end, he's got that big secret he reveals when he reveals his hand at the poker table, and all hell hits the fan, and you're like, oh, he's the guy that the myth was all about. Yeah, I mean, to, to be honest, I mean, coming back, it wasn't even a case of right, right. Someone is back and he's going to show the world. It, it really wasn't that. Um, I think it's my mentality is kind of more kind of the old school where. I'm going to get into the gym, I'm going to work out, I'm just going to see what I can do. Yeah. You, know, you, know, you know what I mean? Yeah. It wasn't like, it's the big reveal, because if that was the case, then maybe what I would have done was train for a whole year yeah, and yeah. then make the comeback. Don't compete, and then come back with a 800 plus total. But that wasn't the case, it was just a case of, yeah, let me try this thing again. Let's see if I've still got it. Um, and just started lifting, and the numbers just start going up, and I'm at the stage now where I'm stronger than stronger now than what I was 20 years ago. Which is insane. And I'm getting strong. And I'm getting strong pretty quickly as well. It's going up like that. Yeah. Let's talk about the British because that's when you're. That was. If there's ever a coming out moment where the rest of the world. And how are you for time, by the way? I'm good. Okay. Um, let's talk about the British because it, I've got, uh, it's just um, Liverpool. I play Manchester United. Later on, so oh, I kind okay. of want to watch that. Gotcha. But we're okay. That's not for a while. Okay, gotcha. Okay, so um, for for myself, King of Lives reposting and the whole nine. I know you popped on my radar at the British, and uh, I mean you're you're facing Joshua Greenfield, who obviously he's broken IPF world records um, with the squat. He's world class. He's he's so you were in you were in the thick of it. It wasn't like you had a soft division. The 105s are always historically a deep division. And you emerged, and you winning the British really popped on a lot of people. If if ever anybody didn't know who you were yet, after you won the British, everybody's like, well, this guy didn't come out of nowhere. This guy has to have a story. That's what I was thinking is like, and then when I checked up on you, so I was like, all right, well, who's this guy? Because he just beat Joshua, who's world class. I'd seen Joshua at the world championships. I seen him breaking world records. I'm like, this dude's, where did he come from that all of a sudden he's beating Joshua for the British title? I look in and I'm like, hey, I seen the video of you. There's no way this dude is the age you're saying. This this guy's got to be like 30. He's got. There's no <laughs> way. <laughs> and and then B B, I couldn't believe. <laughs> that's right. We'll do the fist bump. Is B, I couldn't believe the numbers you were hitting and peaking. Um, you know, let's talk about that. When you went into British, did you know? Did, like, were your expectations to win, or was it just like, you know what? Like, here's the beautiful thing. Sometimes when you walk in there, Randy Couture, I'm, I'm an MMA UFC guy, but boxing has this many times as well, where I think George Foreman said, the beautiful thing about being the older guy walking in there against guys 20 years younger, and you're the you're always the underdog, it doesn't matter, every time. Here's what's beautiful about it. Nobody expects you to win. The pressure's not on me. You have to beat me. You should beat me. Everything is on you. If I win... Oh my God, everyone's talking about it. My win becomes 10 times more impressive and it becomes inspiration to everybody else. If I lose, but I give a good account of myself, hats off to you, buddy. I can't believe you gave that young guy a hell of a fight like that right down to the last, very last word. It's, it's huge. So he's like, I can't lose and I have no pressure. It's a beautiful thing. 
You know, it, it's what did it feel like when you're going into British? What did it feel like for you? Well, building up to the British, um, it was going really well. Um, uh, I knew Josh um, would be my biggest rival, um, but I fully intended to win. Um, I just thought I've got a bit more. He's got the big squat, but I'll, I'll take him on the bench and then I'll do what I need to do on the deadlift. Um, unfortunately, about four weeks before the British, um, I've thrown a bit of a curveball. I actually injured my leg and my hip. Um, so I was actually, it was that bad. I was limping around for two days. So I had to completely change my training program from peaking to kind of rehab in four weeks leading up to the British. Um, so for, I couldn't even squat, at one stage I couldn't even squat 200 kilos. Oh no. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Literally within four weeks. But I know I've got really good powers of recovery. Um, as well, um, I've got a really good uh, uh, physio as well, a uh, sports massage therapist, a friend of mine called uh, Mihai Trifon, an uh, amazing guy. So he worked on me every day. I squatted it, um, just lightweights and just tried to get the movement pattern going. Um, and then I thought, well, okay, let's go to the British. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen because I was, I was really genuinely worried um, once I actually put some heavy weight on my back, like say over 300 kilos, that the injury could just go again. Yeah. But I, want, I wanted the win, and I really wanted, I really want the first place. Um, as much as I say, I like to just compete and do my best. When I'm there, yeah. in the battle, I'm a, I'm a warrior, I'm a competitor, and I really, really want to win. Um, so, um, came out with my opening. Squat, I think I was three, three or five, no, three or two, and it felt easy. And I looked over to the lights, and I couldn't, I couldn't find where the lights were for some reason. And so nothing happened. So I just started celebrating. Yeah, <laughs> easy for squat. I'm good. My squats are good. And then um, I realised I'd actually got two red lights for depth. Oh no! It's like. Ugh. God, no, this is not good. Um, so then for my second attempt, I did what you shouldn't do and jump. And I jumped seven kilos to 310. Um, got that. And then I went to 327, so a 17 kilo jump. And if I was going to really have any chance of winning, I needed something around the 325, 330 range. Mm. Um, so I put it on. I... 100% I was going to get it, and I got it. It was a, it was a fight of my life, but I got it. <laughs> um, I thought, I got that in, and I thought, okay, I know Josh will, will, will squat something massive, 350 or whatever, but if I get this squatting with my bench and my deadlift, I win. Did my opening bench, no problem, failed my next two benches. Absolute disaster. This is not the comeback. Absolute disaster. This is not the comeback 20 years in the making you're hoping for. No, no, no. I was absolutely devastated. Um, but obviously, when you're backstage there and things are not going well, you've got to put game face on, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Can't show any weakness, can you? No. Um, so, um, at the moment, he's gone six out of six. Oh, my God. Uh, then it comes to the deadlift. 
that had come to the deadlift. Um, and I was just kind of thinking to myself, um, I think you'll understand as a powerlifter, sometimes when you're lifting, you get to the deadlift. Before you even get there, you're kind of thinking, am I, overall, am I strong today? Or was it just that the bench was weak? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, am I overall pretty good, but maybe one lift I just kind of peaked a little bit incorrectly? Isn't that so weird that's that what I can was... happen? It's weird how that can, everyone knows. It's weird how that can happen, but I totally know what you mean, where you're like, my bench was not there today, but the other lifts were there, which is weird, but it happens. Yes, so I don't know. Did I get the squat on adrenaline, and then the bench and the deadlift are going to be off? But um, I did my uh, first warm 120 kilos, and I knew it was there. And so my, my team uh, said to me, right, oh, so we'll see what he does, and then you do, you know, what, like, jump, you open at 3.15, then you maybe jump to 3.30, and then see what you need for the last one. And I said, no. I said, whatever he does, let's get the openers in. He'll be ahead from the openers. I said, whatever he does on the second, put the weight on the bar, I'm going to pull it. I said, I'm going to pull 3.60, I'm going to pull 3.60, just put it on. So I'm not, I'm not going to be messing around here. I'm, I'm just, I'm going all in. You know what I mean? Yeah. Put, it, put the weight on the bar, and I'm going to do it. Yeah. And that's what happened. So I pulled the second. I pulled the second one, and everybody knew by then I'd won because oh. uh, it was it was easy. There was plenty more, plenty more there. And yeah, and I kind of knew that was kind of a coming out party as well. I knew I kind of get on the radar of a few people because I actually won the Masters a few months before. Yeah. But it's the Masters, and people pay more attention to the Open. Don't they? Yeah, and here's the thing. Uh, so here's one thing I want to put about that. <laughs> Afterwards, when you put your hand, this has become one of your trademarks. I don't know if this is new or if you were doing this in the early 90s, but you put your hands to your side after your deadlift. You know what I mean? After you hit those big PB deadlifts, you put your hands out to your side, kind of like a, you know, I, I mean, it's hard to do it on your side. I don't know where that came from. Is that new or were you doing that in the 90s too? No, you know what? I think... Um... In the nineties, I was I was definitely more reserved. I was definitely more reserved. But I think as you get older, you get more confident. Um, and I think as a powerlifter, I don't think there's any wrong. I don't think there's anything wrong with being a little bit showman. Yeah. Um, because sure, competitions can go on for a long time, and you see some heavy lifts being lifted. But you do remember, you do remember the showman. You know of what course. I mean? You think? Of course. No, we need it. We yeah. need some flavor. We need yeah. some pizzazz. And um, it's, everyone has their time on the platform, their moment. It's not like you're head-to-head in a basketball game, you're dunking on somebody and getting in their face. That's your moment on the platform. So you deserve, hey, check out the good, look what I just did. Like, you deserve to have your moment. That was your moment. Um, so that was, and, and the best part is when those kind of things happen totally organically. And, and if, if because it wasn't like for three weeks, it's like, you're practicing what you're gonna do if you win and stuff like that. Like when it happens in the moment like that, and all of a sudden it becomes your thing, you just the shoe fits, you kick it. Now it's your thing. Now people almost expect it now, right? If he pulls, he gets the win. It's it's like a, you take the picture and snap it, and that's what said. That's the Sam Watt pose now. Because you do it in yeah, the gym now. That, I mean, saying that when um, at the Europeans a few weeks later, 
I noticed my demeanour when I look back at the videos was quite a lot different to the British. So the British, I'm out there a bit more flamboyant, but with the Europeans, I know you're probably going to get to this later on, um, I really want to concentrate a bit more and get everything right and be technical with all my lifts. So I was kind of careful not to be so flamboyant. I kind of took energy from my lifting and put it into that. You understand what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm so concentrating so much. Um, it's like I just didn't want to waste any energy whatsoever, you know, it, jumping around and showing off. It's a, it's a fine line because there's a line between being focused and staying on point, and then there's that line where, so there's showmanship where it's too loose, but there's also showmanship where it's enough to take the edge off and keep it fun, because if you're too focused, it becomes stressored, and you're, you're, you're expending more energy than you need, you're expending energy between the, the attempts, the attempt lasts two seconds, but when you're backstage a little too tight, you could be burning energy just from stress, cortisol levels a little high, so... There, I know what you mean where there's a balance where it's like, all right, I don't want, I don't want to get too loose. I got to get focused here because I got a job to do. However, every now and then, it's good to have keep it fun because if it's not fun and if it's crazy stress the whole day, by the time you're dead and you're a big debtor. So it's it's a weird balance that almost only comes, I've, I've experienced both sides of it. And it almost only comes through experience. You can't buy experience. And you, it's hard to rattle a veteran. Is it not in terms of mentally? It's hard to overwhelm and rattle a veteran. I know what you mean when you said, like when I was younger, I might look the same, kind of talk the same, but the inside, you're different. You know, you you the way you carry yourself, the way like you're more you're more comfortable within your own skin. Uh oh, we lost each other. Uh, I don't know if he can, I don't know, Sam, I don't know if you can see or hear me. I'm going to hang up and call you back. How is this going off on the mad tangent for a second there? because we got right up to the European Championships. I will, I'll tell you how it ends off if we don't get a hold of them. Yeah, I remember him telling the story about the British. Um, leading into the British, yeah, I didn't know he had lifted in the Master British. Um, he probably literally kicked the shit out of everybody there. <laughs> but uh, going into the British, I had no idea. I had no idea his background. I had no idea, you know, the history he had almost 
three decades in the game, lifting since the 80s. And But I knew who Joshua Greenfield was, and I figured Joshua would be the overwhelming favorite. I mean, my man was breaking world records, um, top five in the world, and, and hoping to push even deeper than that. I mean, he's world class. Everyone who knows Joshua Greenfield knows he's class. So going in there, I figured it was Joshua's to lose. Sam had a coming out party where everybody was like, who the hell is this guy? If, like Conor McGregor, who just fought last night. Who the fuck is that guy? And um, and took a win, and it was, uh, once you started diving into, well, who is Sam Wine? And that's, I'm probably like everybody else who was watching the, the British. And when, when you see, even wherever you're at in the world, time zone changes, whatever, maybe you didn't watch it live. But when the video starts disseminating out through social media, and you start seeing the squat, the bench, the deadlift, the big win, and then him throwing up his hands after winning with that deadlift. And it's and the way he did it was like a statement. You know, when he puts his hands up and he's like, what would you expect? You know, this was always mine. And it, it was like, oh, who is this guy? Who is this dude? And when you... Back again. <laughs> My bad. Uh, I would just say, I would just say, so um, I feel like, yeah, when I was younger, you know, the older I get, here's a, here's an expression I kind of like. It's when I was younger, I'd walk into a room full of people and I'd wonder, I wonder if these people like me. Now that I'm older, I walk into a room full of people and I ask myself, I wonder if I like these people. <laughs> it's, it's more, not, not like in a cynical sense. But more in a sense of, you know who you are, you're comfortable, you're comfortable in your own skin. It's kind of like, you know, you're not trying to, when you're young, you're, you're trying to be cool. If you're saying things to be cool, you're thinking about shit like that. Whereas later on, you're like, it's, all, it's, it's okay. If, if, if I'm not well, here. You know, you know, back in the day when I used to compete, you know what? I used to love the training, the build-up. Afterwards, when I'd won... I really didn't like competing. <laughs> really? I would get yeah, yeah. Back in the day, I would just get, I'd just get too nervous inside. I get too stressed. Um, I didn't really show it, but that's how I felt. And even now, you know, as calm as I look, you know, you still have that anxiousness, and I think you probably need a bit of that. One hundred percent. Not because I'm scared I'm gonna hurt myself, which is. Crazy when you think about the weights that you know powerlifters lift. Yeah, it's I'm really terrified of failure. Um, when I get on that weight that I've been training for months to do, I do not want to fail it, and I kind of you know there's there's really no reason why I should fail a lift because if you select the right weight, you should be able to do it. If you select a weight too heavy, okay, maybe you can't do it. Yeah. So if the attempt selection is right, you should do it. And the only reason why you don't do it is either it's a technical failure um, or you bottled it. And that terrifies me. <laughs> That's why I don't like failing. <laughs> so also, the, the reason why I'm so happy and flamboyant after I get a lift is because, yeah, I'm going to enjoy this. You yeah. know what I mean? I'm not going to be... Just that anxious guy all the time and not enjoy. I'm gonna, I'm gonna damn enjoy this. I've, I've got the lift, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna milk every bit out of it I can. Here's the thing too, because it's genuine. I think too, 
going back when I was younger, I know like you might not express yourself because you don't know how it's going to be taken. Oh, what if what if they think it's cheesy? What if they think it's this? What if you know you might just keep your keep it to yourself. And when you get older, you're like, man, fuck it, I don't care, man. I'll celebrate if you think, oh, that's cringy. Whatever, man. I don't. This wasn't for you. You're not the guy. Like, it's you don't. You're 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 freed up. You know what? You know you see a bunch of memes where it's like, when you no longer care that much about what other people are thinking, you find you are tasting a whole nother level of freedom. Man, it comes with age to a large extent where you're like, I just don't care, man. It's all good. It's If it's not your flavor, it's not your flavor. And in terms of anxiety when you're competing, adrenaline is only released and there's no pre-workout as strong as adrenaline. We know for facts, scientifically speaking, what your body can do with a bolt of adrenaline, how fast you can run, how much more weight you can lift. Adrenaline is a beautiful thing. And it is only released when fight or flight kicks in, the anxiety hits. And when you show up to, Sam, the day you show up to a competition and you don't feel that, and you're trying to get yourself worked up and you can't, that's the day where you got to think about hanging them up. Like, it's a good thing. When people like, when people like, how do you handle it? Like, what do you do so you don't get nervous? I'm like, you don't want that. You might think you don't. And as much as internally, like, oh, this anxiety is a terrible feeling. Some people get anxiety in their day-to-day. It's a terrible feeling. I get it. You almost got to attach, take away the negative and attach to a positive and start saying, when you feel anxious, be like, I feel excited. It just, wait, it feels the same. Start telling yourself, oh, this is good. Well, this is good, good. Yeah, and the thing is, here's the thing. Uh, if I'm competing at the British, at the Europeans, where I'm in a battle for the title... Um, or I'm just competing at a regional competition, I feel exactly the same way. Nothing's changed. That's good. Nothing's changed because I really want to get those lifts. I'm, I'm on the limit. I'm on the margins. And this weight that I train for, I want to get. So subsequently, at the same time, if I place second or third, but I hit all the numbers I want to hit, I'm not disappointed. Mm. Yeah, it is a personal journey, right? Yeah. It does. Yeah. Um, so going into Europeans, what was your goal? Did you think podium was within reach? Was were you, were you telling yourself, like, you set goals, like, man, it'd be something to hit that podium. Or do you tell yourself, I just want to hit my lifts, hit my numbers. Beyond that, whatever happens, happens. If it's fifth, if it's podium, how, how were you entering it? Okay, um, so I had some numbers that I wanted to hit, and in the end, I actually hit less than I actually planned because I was going for the podium. Ah, yeah. So, (laughs) So in a situation like that, I think too many people can be focused on PBs, records. It don't really matter. It's about where you finish. Yeah. It's about the podium. The records can come at any time. Somebody can come and break that record two days later or in the same competition. So for me, working out the numbers and who was there, um, if I said if I could get into the podium, I'd be over the moon. Um, also as well, even though um, I won at the British, I was disappointed with myself because... I failed those two benches. I failed my opening squat. 
I was very disappointed. Mm. So going going into the Europeans, um, I said to the people around me, I'm going to get nine out of nine, and I'm going to get 27 white lights. Oh, and I got nine out of nine and 27 white lights. And and also hit the podium as well. And hit the podium as well. And I brought the Masters World Record. And I brought the Masters Deadlift Record. And I brought the Masters... um, Total as well. So, and, and what you're doing, I, 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 I don't mind coming third to somebody like Emil, who's an absolute freak yeah. of nature, 23 years old, and the other, and the other guy, Vladislav, who's only 22 when he totaled at 60. I mean, both of those, in fact, all three totals was more than what won the IPF Worlds a few months before. Which is insane. So, how, how can you be disappointed? And that's where some people, I'm glad, you know, going into the European Championships um, at King of Lifts, we're like, we're going to start profiling, you know, the Europeans leading into it, have a preview show, show training footage post. We're going to say who won, give results. Um, because some people in North America were, were kind of like, if you watch the American Nationals, some of the commentators are like, look, at you win in U.S. Raw Nationals, you basically won the World Championships. These are the best in the world. You know, sometimes it's tougher to win U.S. Raw Nationals than it is to win the Worlds. And it's a little bit too close-minded. You know, I mean, that guy doesn't speak for everybody on all the Americans, but it's misleading. And I was like, man, that's not, that's just not the case. Man, the world's a big place. You know, you have the European Championship where every single one of those totals on the podium could have won the World Championships in Sweden. You know, it's not, and that's not to take anything away from the world champion. I mean, you know, you, you, like you said, you load the bar with what you need to win. You're crazy to load more. You do exactly what you need. But the point more so is um, not to take away from the champ, but to more point towards um, the world's big place. And there is talent everywhere. I mean, you have how many world champions coming out of Europe? This is international world-class powerlifting. You can't look past nobody. Um, How much of a statement was it as well? I don't know the president's set, but in 2020, you'll be 50 years old. Um, dice this shit. I know I keep saying that, but you fucking dice. And if you win British and you go on forward into the world, you go on forward into Europeans, is there any presence to what you're doing? Because now you're starting to become, throwing it back to 90s boxing, when guys like, when George Foreman did upset the world on the cover Sports Illustrated, and he became like that guy. What? Look at. I'm telling you, it doesn't matter if someone's British or not. People move towards your American. You root for Americans. You're British. You for British. When you're 50 years old, everybody roots for you. That's fact. Because we're all mortal. Everything. It doesn't matter if you're 22. I remember I was like 14, 13 when George Foreman did what he did. And as soon as that happens, because we're all mortal, we're all facing the same bigger picture. When somebody comes around, defies the odds, and is like, nah, it doesn't have to be like that. And you start doing things, and people start believing, and you become, like, bigger than that. You're like, you're, you're the eternal, no matter what, like I said, you'll always be that underdog slaying those dragons. You're always David going against Goliath. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah exactly. Do you feel yeah, like, exactly. Uh, how do you feel uh, walking into 2020 with all that? Um, I feel, um... No pressure. <laughs> I feel no pressure. Why should I? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm, 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 I'm heading towards 50. Um, everything right now is just a bonus. Um, where I go, um, 
I want to win the I want to win the IPF Masters World Championship in Sun City. Um, the thing is, like I said before, I was when I came back, I was just happy to compete in the Masters. The problem with that, um, I don't really have that much competition because I've moved the Masters world record from 810 to 860. And pretty much the next time I left, it's probably going to be 880. Um, so in order for me to... Um, I, I still want competition. I don't just want to just win it and there's a procession and I win a world title. Yeah. I need to I need to have the battle as well. So even if I go to Europeans and come third, I'm enjoying that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm enjoying that. Like you said, um, I've, two of the guys... 22 and 23, and they still come to younger than my age. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, I mean, so I've got, <laughs> look, I've got nothing to lose here. This is all just, this is all just bonus for me. I this, know, this, this is second, crazy. This second phase of my career is just bonus. I'm just loving it. Do you ever tell yourself too, it's, this is also like a movie setting. You see movies where they have a, a clock timer in terms of you only have this much time to like get into this bank get out or get in get out and take the hostage or whatever there's like that timer on it that makes it exciting and makes it like man this is do or die it clears your mind when you realize when you're like 21 22 and you're like fuck i got 15 years you may win or lose and, and you almost take for granted you're gonna get 15 more kicks at the can but when you're 50 and you're telling yourself i don't know i'm i'm, sh- I'm shooting up high right now I could be, 2020 could be the best year of my life, but is, what's 2021? I don't know. What's 2022? It almost clear, clears your mind and you are ever so present. It, it clears your mind and you're like, I have this British and I'm going in because it could be the last big one that I, I'm going to be the champ. I have this Masters world. I have this open world. If you win the British Open, I have this European, like, this is my time. Tomorrow isn't promised. And you, you know, they tell you, live for today. Tomorrow's not promised. Compete today like there is no next time. It's today. And you almost, not only do you get to enjoy the low-pressure underdog, no matter what you do, people celebrate, um, but you also have that clarity where it's like, man, I'm just, I'm not taking nothing for granted. It's, it's a way different feeling than when you're like 21. Like, do you think yeah, about I mean, it? I, 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 the, I have... The, the way that I feel now, absolutely, the way you describe it, 100%, you know, who knows when I'm going to start to decline, you know, it could be tomorrow. Um, but it was the same, I did exactly the same with bodybuilding, because I got to bodybuilding at 44. Um, and I competed every single year, which in general, normally it's not a good idea for a bodybuilder to do that, yeah. because the dieting process, sometimes I'd be dieting for six months. Um, so if you're doing that, where do you have time to actually build the muscle and recover and get your testosterone levels back to where they should be? But because of my age, I felt I'm in a rush here. I've got to push. I've got to keep going. And I want to win that WNBF Pro World title. So I've got to keep on going. And if I haven't, if I didn't win it when I didn't win it, I'd have probably still been doing the bodybuilding now until I did win it. Yeah. I'm not, yeah. But my, my attitude... This same attitude applied when I was 21. <laughs> okay? Um, I want to be the best what I can be. And I want to get there as quickly as possible. 
And I need to make sure that I'm out training, out smarting, out working all my competition. So believe it or not, I don't feel indifferent now to 30 years ago. I just, you have this, um, you have your overall goals that you want to achieve. And it's kind of in the distance. But there's something always driving you towards that. That never stops. You think about it daily. You go to bed, kind of think about it. I've always been like that. My attitude really hasn't changed. Probably, you know, I've got to kind of speed it up a little bit. But in terms of attitude, in terms of the goals I want to achieve, um, I don't understand how people can slack off, you know, take some time out and come back to it. I could never do that. If I'm, if I'm on it, I'm on it. If I'm not on it, like I, like when I was 32, I quit. And that was it. Powerlifting was done. And then I'm back into it now. Now I'm really back into it. It's, you know what? It reminds me, here's, here's a, there, there was a boxer who um, he wanted to retire mid-fight. And he told his coaches, he's like, I'm done, man. It's like round five or whatever. He's like, I'm done. I got nothing left. This is my last fight. Fuck it. I, I wasn't feeling it in training. And they're like, well, you're already halfway through. You might as well go for the sixth round, see what happens. Goes out there. The guy totally puts it on, puts a whooping on him. And the fight's around even. So he tips a beating in the sixth round, comes back because his heart was gone. Comes back seventh round, he's like, all right, throw in the towel. Now you know I'm done. It's got my ass whooped. And they're like, you just took everything that guy had and you, and, and you survived. That's it. He's done. Go back out there in the seventh, put it on. Goes back out there in the seventh round, puts it on this guy. Whoops the hell out of this guy. Pillar post to pillar post. Goes back in between the seventh and the eighth. And he's like, there you go, man. I gave all my energy. Let's, let's, let's pull it now. And they're like, what are you talking about? You just whooped that guy for pillar post to pillar post. You can't quit now. So then they're, so they push him back out. Eighth round, the guy comes back, puts it on him. And, it, and this happens until the 10th round. Okay. And it's, they're, they're trading rounds back and forth. And before they went out for the 10th and final round, his, his coach looks him in the eyes and says, listen to me. I, after this, this is the last, last round of your career. You leave it all out in that ring. If you never want to fight again, you never have to, and I won't never talk you into taking another fight that you don't want. But you leave it in that 10th round. You leave it in the ring. Give it everything you've got because this is the last round you have. He went out there, won the last round. I shit you not, Sam. The fight was ruled dead even a draw. And he was like, I'll take it. I'll take it. And he climbed out of that ring and never fought again. And it reminds me when you tell me about how you're approaching this kind of like, like, I don't know if this is my last year. So I don't got time to mess around. I don't got time to be half in, half out. If this is my last round, I'm all in. I'm giving it, I'm leaving it. This is my 10th round. 2020 could be my 10th round. I'm going all in. And I'm going to leave it in there. So if 2020 is my last round, I can leave and be like, I'm good. I'm, I'm good. All right, fine. But I hit every. I, I covered all my bases in 2020. You know. Yeah, leave, leave nothing. Leave, leave nothing. nothing. How do you? Uh, you know, you, you, sorry, go on. How? What? What is it that you want to achieve in 2020? If this, if this is your tenth round, let's just say for the sake of conversation, this is your tenth round. What, what do you want to achieve in 2020? If you are leaving it all in. Okay. Um. I want to win an IPF world title, so yeah, that's the world. That's in South Africa. 
think I've said that before. Um, I'd love to finally nail a 200 kilo raw bench. That's been like a dream forever. Um, my other dream was to hit a 350 deadlift. I did that a couple of days ago and a bit more, 360. Yeah. Um, and just to be competitive, if I do the open, uh, just to be competitive, um, for that, um, normally I would probably say podium, but the standard in the 105s is a little bit silly. It's That's coming from a 105, who is not that bad. But yeah. it's, um, I'm, I'm seeing, I can see a couple of guys breaking the world record. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's that kind of standard. Um, but just to be able to hold my own, in that company, um, and once again, I've got I've got nothing to lose at my age. It's just it's just a bit of fun. I'll, I'll be already coming back from South Africa with a really nice town. Yeah. So it, it doesn't require does it? It's it's crazy <laughs> talking about the one hundred and fives. If Ashton Ruska can lift Bryce Lewis, Emil, I mean, you, you have like it's it's just a, a murderer's resort. If Rondell Hunt makes it. Um, into the 105s if like like it's just a murderer's row at 105 is going to be easily the most stacked division in, in the men's side at least just just you found yourself in like you know what no matter and here's the thing with sports in terms of anything can happen we see it all the time anything can literally happen like you show up and you just hit the numbers you need to hit and whatever, the, if the chips fall where they may, and your class is going to be the class everybody watches. Everyone's going to see you put on your performance wherever you're, when you're, when the division is that deep, it doesn't matter where you place in your world class and everybody knows. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I was debating whether I should even do the Open and just kind of focus on the Masters, because that obviously is my level, um, but I've got a feeling it's just going to be a hell of a show down there oh. um, in the 105s. Oh. And, you know, I've got a feeling history could be made. And you kind of want to be a part of that, don't you? For sure. Listen, I tell you what, <laughs> the amount of people that, are going to, that view the Open World Championships, it's insane. And when we talk about, like, you know, in life, doors open and close, opportunities open and close. To be a part of it, and you never know. You get Remember, you get medals for individual events. You get medals, like... Who knows what's going to happen, Say, I think I might have lost you again. Can you hear me? You froze up on me for a second there. It's going to try to reconnect us. Is my man's back? I'm going to try coming back. Let's give it another go. Hey. I, I was just saying, in terms of um, the 105s, because they have medals for individual events, and um, look, I've been, I've been um, blessed enough to be commentating at the IPF Worlds for the last few years, and you see... The strangest things happen at the IPF World Championships. As long as you're in the mix, God knows, man. 
medals are always up for grabs. Look, if somebody could have yeah. an overall, you like like happen in your British, you could you you can have an overall good day, but the bench wasn't there. Well, if you have a phenomenal, if if every someone had an overall good day, but the deadlift wasn't great, but you had a phenomenal deadlift day, you're collecting medals at 50 years old in in the weight class that's the most stacked in the world in a, a showdown that everybody's going to remember. It's one of those deals where it's like there are many victories that can be that can be had, and you know, as in life, opportunities. This door closes. This is your tenth round, my friend. This is your tenth round, and it's like. Do people um, treat uh, getting the medals for individual events quite seriously? Because uh, back in the day, there was no such thing. You got a medal for total, for a second, third. There was there was only this individual medal. This is I was I was kind of taken aback by that a little bit. It's serious now. Here's why: um, back in the day, that there was nowhere near as many lifters, so it's watered down. But now the competition level. Look at if you want a deadlift medal. If you like, like eighty-three kilo men are squatting three hundred and ten to three hundred and seventeen kilo. Like, so if you get a medal in the squat, that means you are world class. Out of anybody can imagine, your your squat is just phenomenal. You get a deadlift medal, that means your deadlift is so world class. It's undeniable. Like, it means something now. It might not have back in the day. In at the world championships, you're on that podium. And they're, they're like, you know, the flags come down and the IPF president is wrapping medals around your neck. And you look to your left and you look to your right and those are IPF world championships. They'll have had to outlift for those medals. It, it 100% means something. I think if it was like a federation with far fewer lifters, maybe it's, it feels like day camp where everybody's getting a medal. At the IPF Worlds, there's no such thing as a medal that isn't world class. You have to do something phenomenal to get one. And for you, if you get a medal, 50 years old, battling guys who are like, you know how many world champions are showing up? Like guys who have won the world title who are going to be showing up, it'd be a phenomenal story. Even like wherever the placings are, it's again, it's one of those I can't lose situations. It's one of those deals where it's like, hey man, this is a story for whoever's watching who's going to be like, oh wow. Uh, I want to ask you, because people are asking me, what do you think, what is your secret to A, staying injury-free, after all this time and to keep your progress, like was time off because you didn't, you didn't have the wear and tear because you took some time off, etc. Like what, what do you think it was that you tribute that at your age, you could be injury free and still hitting these personal bests? Yeah. I mean, yeah, definitely the time off. I mean, uh, I did 16, 17 years without powerlifting. Um, and I'm, I was playing football two, three times a week keeping myself fit, still going to the gym, um, but just really lifting quite at mild weights. Um, when I when I had trained, like I told you in the past, um, I really under-trained quite a lot. So um, I never really pushed my body as hard as I could have pushed it. Um, but I've always been, at the same time, I've always been really sensible uh, in the past and now, if I feel anything, if I get a niggle, um, twinge, I tend not to train through it. I tend, I tend to find out what the issue is. What with my, what with my, uh, my therapist, uh, me, I, um, I try not to just kind of push through and just hope for the best. 
Um, if you've got a niggle, there's a reason for it. Mm. Um, so I at least like to try to find out what that is. Now, if it's a niggle where you get the go-ahead where you can train through it, fine, no problem. Um, but if there's an underlying issue, you've got to find out what the issue is. So I've got... Um, going, leading up to the British, remember I said I had that leg injury. Um, so I just I did not go heavy at all leading up to the British. Now, if that meant that I lifted less and potentially didn't win, okay, so be it. Yeah. Uh, but I wasn't going to risk my health trying to hit the numbers that was on the program. I will happily rip up my program and adjust it on the fly if I feel if I feel I need to. So that is that's always the way that I train. I listen to my body. I listen to what it's saying. And if I need to back off, I back off. If I feel overtrained, I just take a few days off and then come back. So if I, if that means I slightly undertrain and I don't quite reach my potential, what I could do, fine. But I know what it does mean. I know it means that I get less injuries. Um, and apart from the back injury um, uh, when I was 29 years old, that was kind of a serious injury. Um, but to be fair, that injury, when I look back now, was only because I wasn't stretching properly. I tight QL, I tight hips, tight glutes. Um, uh, Warm-up drill, what's that? You, know, <laughs> you, 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 you walk into the gym after sitting down for eight hours and you get under the bar 60 kilos and squat eight reps, then you go to 100, that was it. Um, warm-up drills and activations and all that kind of stuff back in the day? Nah, nah, that's for girls. <laughs> um, but now, now um, before I squat, uh, half an hour, 40 minutes of drill. Again, half hour, forty minutes of, of, of warming up. I think he's going to say, "We're just in discipline." I'm at about twenty. We have, oh, let's see. All right. Let me give him one more time. I got one more question at the very least. I want to ask this man before I let him go. We can't end like that, even though we got an hour and a half out of him. Oh, we dropped again. I got you. I got you back. I got you back. All right. Where, where did you lose me? A half hour, 40 minutes of warming up, you were saying, getting ready. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I would take half an hour, 40 minutes before I squat, before I deadlift, before I bench. Um, afterwards, I stretch again, and then I stretch every morning. So how long um, is this? How long is your, including your workout, how long is that? How many hours is this? Um, can be two two hours, can be longer. Yeah, okay. I've got I've got no problem like a leg session by the time I've warmed up, trained, stretched, I could be in gym for three, three and a half hours. Oh wow. Okay. So yeah, yeah you're yeah. all in. So, so with with the with the with the powerlifting, with the squatting, I like to take my time. Yeah. So I'll do my fives um, and then take as long as I need. Um five six, seven minutes, whatever it is. So then I fully recover so I can hit the next set hard. 
And then I moved towards my bodybuilding type training, more hypertrophy stuff. Uh, I got a little bit quicker there, but I'll, I'll take as long as I need. Um, uh, I do the personal training, so I work for myself, so I can schedule my own hours. I can schedule clients around me, and that's what I do. So I just make sure when I've got a leg there, I've got no clients in two, three hours after I start. <laughs> I guess that. Listen, um, a question I like to ask everybody when they come on the show is when all is said and done, and you look back on your career, how would you like to be remembered? Um, as a world-class powerlifter, um, somebody, I think, you know, new generation would not have known about the, the old sound. Um, but certainly the new generation begin to know about me now. So I've got all the old generation who, who know and appreciate what I've done. And now I've got, um, you know, I've got a new set kind of following me now. Um, one of the big things I'd like people to take away is if you want longevity, um, you've got to be in it for the long game. You've got to be patient. You've got to really want it because you can't be doing this game for 20, 30 years like what I've been doing, unless your heart's in it. Do it for the right reasons. Don't do it for likes. Don't do it to be famous. Um, do this game because you love it and you want to look heavy shit. Well said, my man. Well said. Keeping it, throwing it back to the purity days. Um, is there anybody, <laughs> first off, because you're a coach, do you have online services that people can get a hold of you if they want to, or? Um, I'm maxed out there. I'm maxed out. I do bodybuilding and powerlifting coaching, but I've got my fill already. Um, I'm fully booked. I'm fully booked one-to-one, uh, -one, so I don't really have that much space to take on new people. But um, SamWhatFitness.com, SamWhatFitness on Instagram, that's where you can find me and if, um, if I have, to have any space. And is there sponsors or anybody you want to thank as well? Um... No sponsors. Um, there's a great independent gym where I work from, uh, Graft House in Leeds. So if any of you are there, feel free to feel free, free, free to pop in there. Um, if any of you are in Leeds as well, I mentioned me, High Trip on, um, great sports from South Africa, so go see him. Um, but yeah, that's it. All right, my man, listen. Thank you very much. I got another podcast coming up. I'm glad I got you in here. We've been doing a little back and forth, and I knew you have a good story because you you come from different generations. And, um, I mean, we probably haven't even come at all. Yeah, it's Jurassic So, look, I'll, I'll see you. I might see you at the IPF Master Worlds. Um, so, if, okay. I, if I see you there, we'll catch up. SPD, you're going, you're going to that one? Um, I'm going to be competing at that one myself. So I don't know if we'll be doing media there. I don't have the media schedule for the IPF. But, um, and, and same with Belarus. I don't have the media schedule yet. So I may or may not see you. I will be at the SPD Invitational. I will 100% be there. So, yeah, okay. I'll, I might see you a few times in 2020. We'll catch up. Absolutely. Okay, Appreciate it. Sounds good. Talk to you later. Have a good one. Yeah. Bam, my man Sam Watt. 
Um, as soon as I seen his background, and I seen he's been around since I mean the late '80s, going to the World Championships in the early '90s. I mean, it was, it was literally you know we joke around now. It's like a different, it's like a prehistoric era, but it really was. Look, in 1991, internet was not readily readily available in people's houses. You know, let alone social media, let alone, like it was a different, it really was a different era. How we commute, how everybody as a society communicated, disseminated information, things moved slowly. Um, you know, it was, it, I wanted to get, and we, I don't know if we've had anybody on the podcast, well, Matt Gary, my man's been around for a hot minute, but yeah, Sam Watt to be doing what he's doing at his age coming in there, you know, he does, he, he, he represents the people like that. And I think everybody could draw inspiration from that. Because we're all, you know, we're all on that timeline. Wherever you're at on that timeline, fine. But it's coming. And it's got to be encouraging to see like, oh, I could be 50 years old and still doing this. And it is possible. And that's what you need in, in sports or whatever it is. You know, it's when someone does it first, you put that in the back of your mind. So when it comes up to your time, you're like, nah, you know what? I've seen it happen before. People around you might doubt, but when people like Sam Watt come around, it's necessary to make you start opening up your mind and your frame of mind and, you know, what's possible, what's impossible. So it's very inspirational. I got, I'm got, i glad I got Sam on here. Hell of a talker. You know, usually people, when you get around that age, you're pretty comfortable. You'll let it shoot from the hip. You're, you know, you're not overly thinking about everything you've got to say. You're going to be yourself and deliver that package and people digest it however they want to digest it. But, um, so we'll have him back on. If I see him at the SBD Invitational, love to do a face-to-face interview. Who knows? We'll see. Well, I don't know how crazy busy it's going to be. But nonetheless, I hope you like it. Please, if you're watching us on YouTube, subscribe. Hit that subscribe button. Hit that like button. Fire off some questions in the comments. I will fire back. If you're listening to the audio version, give us high ratings. Um, put it in your Instagram stories so other people get to hear, you know, Sam Watt's story. So other people get to hear about the podcast and hear all the guests we have on and all the discussions we have on. It only helps the sport when you do this. We can only do it when we do it together. Until next time, six-pack lapping.